Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 24. And today we're going to be talking about dependency management in your app. So guys, I need to apologize up front because I've got some serious sinus stuff going on. So my voice is going to be kind of weird tonight. Um, also, would like to say thank you to Natasha for featuring us in her newsletter. That was awesome. So if she's, if you are listening to this one again, thank you. And if you haven't already subscribed to This Week in Swift, uh, go check it out. It's a great newsletter for everything related to Swift and Apple Watch. Lots of great info. Definitely. So guys, do you remember way back in the day when you were first doing the iOS development and you needed to pull in a third-party library? I don't know what you mean by way back, but yeah, it's super fun to pull stuff like that in. Yeah, it was a pain, wasn't it? You had to go and look at the readme and download the source and drop that into your project directory and Follow the readme for making the right project weeks. A lot of copying source files over, manually configuring build settings. Lots of fun. Yeah, luckily there's... For a while we were good because everyone was using ARC and there was only Objective-C. Uh, but it really sucked when you had to deal with ARC or non-ARC for various libraries. And now we have have the whole Swift thing to deal with too. Uh, if you want to mix and match your Objective-C and Swift, which can kind of make things uh, a pain to set up, but not, I don't think as bad as the ARC and non-ARC days. Yeah, things have definitely improved, and I don't think there's too many libraries out there of interest that still avoid ARC at this point. I'm sure there's a few, but not too many notable ones. Yeah, it was it was a pain when a new version of the library came out and you needed to make sure that everything from the new code got in there. Sometimes you leave out a file or something like that. And that was always a pain. All kinds of annoying things. That's if you managed to remember to actually update the library. How many times did you find that you were running some dependency that was outdated by over a year? And that one had bugs. For that matter, how do you even know it's outdated? There's, you know, if you copied and pasted it over, there's no real record or manifest of all your dependencies and what version you're running. Yep, and I'll just say up front that uh, the the main apps that I work on, uh, we still we still are managing everything manually for for a couple reasons. Um, but one thing it definitely does do is makes you think really hard when you're going to add a dependency to your project which it's annoying that it's really hard to add dependencies, but sometimes maybe you shouldn't be adding 30 libraries to get like two convenience methods to do, make a network call out to an image and set it in a UI view. You can, you can really go overboard real quick on using lots of libraries. Yeah. It does make you think about what you want to include as a dependency. Or, or you have this one library that has one little cool part of it and maybe it's easy enough to just write that little part that you want versus bringing in, you know, 600 lines of code that when the next OS 
update comes out, half of it's deprecated, and you weren't even using the depre- deprecated part, but now you have to go and, and find some way to to wait until the library's been updated by their author, author and all this stuff. So it it is nice to and helps force you to kind of keep things self-contained a little bit more than all of the new fancy ways we have to deal with this stuff. Yeah, so I remember pretty much when I started iOS development, shortly thereafter, CocoaPods entered the scene, and that was pretty big for us. Yeah, and that was, it was kind of a missing piece. A lot of us have come from Java or some other environment where there's a fairly mature ecosystem of package managers and dependency management. So that that had been a missing tool from the Objective-C tool chain. So it, it, CocoaPods was really nice when it came out. And I think most people got on board with it pretty quickly, at least the folks that we've interacted with. Yeah, once it gained momentum, that was pretty much it. Everybody had a pod. So that was it was really easy to integrate CocoaPods, though. But it was kind of awkward, wasn't it? Well, CocoaPods kind of has that magical type some things in a file and run a command, and all this stuff happens and everything just works most of the time. Yeah, it was far from perfect and still is, but you know, definitely a lot better than the manual process and you know, when it there's a big enough community around it, so when things do go wrong, it's usually pretty easy to to track down the cause these days. Yeah, I mean, it it was really a gigantic pain to do anything because of, you know, a lot of those reasons we mentioned earlier when CocoaPods first came out and I was a big fan. I remember that was back in the days where they would let anyone who put in a pull request with a pod file, they just gave them commit access to CocoaPods, uh, which I'm pretty sure they've, they've stopped now. Oh, uh, yeah. They stopped a long time ago, and they've done a lot of stuff to kind of clamp down on, on pod specs and keep them safe and manage that a little bit better and do have less work. I think there was one guy for the CocoaPods team at one point who like had to go in every day and like approve all these hundreds of pull requests or not maybe not hundreds but all these pull requests for people trying to get their stuff in the central repository and for those not familiar with coco pods uh, you know some of the nice things about it is it gives you this because of that central repository you've got one place to go to discover you know hundreds or thousands of libraries available to you so rather than reinventing the wheel you know, more often than not, there's a library out there that does what you need to do that you can just pull into your project. And through the website or command line, you can easily search and, and find pods. There's even a Twitter account that tweets out when new pods get added that I follow, which always is like, oh, look at that thing. That sounds interesting. I'll have to check that out. And one of the challenges with libraries, especially, you know, this is something very familiar to people coming from Java and, and .NET is dealing with all the dependencies between the libraries, so making sure you have compatible versions for everything. And, you know, CocoaPods provides a kind of transitive dependency management where it'll create a graph of all the dependencies and resolve a graph that's going to be compatible. So make sure as best as possible that all the versions line up. And if you have two dependencies that depend on another library or different versions of that library, it'll try and resolve that dependency so you get the most recent compatible compatible version. 
And I'm I'm very happy that people aren't using ASI HTTP requests anymore. While it was a good library at the time, uh, I can remember having dependencies that relied on memory leaks and ASI HTTP requests uh, <laughs> to, to work. M- maybe not intentionally, um, but then you would have a static library you'd bring in that was using a different version of ASI HTTP request. Things just went crazy. There's no way to fix it. I, I think there are some libraries that eventually just had to start like taking the third-party dependencies and like prefixing everything with kind of their own prefix so that it wouldn't conflict, which was, I got to imagine, a big pain. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that library more than anything is what made CocoaPods so <laughs> necessary. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even around anymore. Yeah. But the one thing, I guess the one downside to CocoaPods is it is still not a 1.0 project. So uh, they're moving fast and they're they're breaking things and a lot of times they're moving fast because Apple forces them to. Uh, we've come a long way with, with how you can compile things and group things together. I mean, we didn't used to have frameworks or modules or any any of those types of things. So hopefully we'll get to a, a more stable state when they get to 1.0 and watch, once Apple kind of figure out what they want to do as, as far as like having a way to manage frameworks or dependencies or whatever. Yeah, every year, if there's one thing I want them to Sherlock, it's either CocoaPods or the new kid, Carthage. Give us some kind of dependency management. Yeah, I think, you know, when Swift was announced, it kind of showed kind of the the fragile nature of the tool chain. And the CocoaPods team had to do some major architecture work to to make Swift work with and dynamic libraries. And it, it was kind of a really awkward state you know, when you're trying to support iOS 7 and iOS 8, but dynamic libraries are only supported in iOS 8. Uh, and CocoaPods with Swift only worked with iOS 8. Uh, kind of left iOS 7 out in the cold using, you know, kind of going falling back to the manual process of dependency management for Swift-based libraries. Yeah, and I... I assume it's gotten a little bit better. I don't use CocoaPods right now for for much of anything. But at, at one point, I was working with Sam and Alex. I, I felt like I was the full-time CocoaPods uh, fixer of the team. I'd be trying to help people either troubleshoot their local setups, making sure they had the right Ruby version and whatnot, which was a lot of times for some developers who were new to iOS, much less new to the the Ruby ecosystem, and Sam helped out a lot with that, actually. But it, it definitely was hard to keep keep it running in our continuous integration builds all the time and on all the developers' machines. But I, I've i got to imagine it's, it's a little bit more stable now. Would you guys say that's true? I, I think you guys are both using it most of the time, day to day. Yeah, I think at work, we've, we're at a pretty stable position. You know, the, it used to be that you had to upgrade your Ruby version to run CocoaPods because OS ten only shipped with 1.8 and you needed at least a 1.9 Ruby interpreter. So yeah, that, I guess Apple fixed that for us, right? Yeah. And I mean, we still have issues at work with our firewall and we use that nice little bash script that you wrote for us, Alex. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so I mean, it's been pretty stable. We don't use frameworks right now because we're still supporting 7. And I I still run into issues with CocoaPods and suspect there will always 
will be edge cases, um, partially because it does update your your project files in Xcode, and uh, you know things are there's a lot of variety of scenarios out there that it has to deal with because of that. You know there are libraries that haven't updated their pod specs or um, really updated their project at all in years that causes issues and. I still see some challenges, you know, between different versions of CocoaPod. So depending on what you ha- version you have installed, you might see slightly different behavior. Or some pods might build under one version but not another. I think one of the things that CocoaPods really has going for it is that it is really flexible in, in all the different ways that it can integrate your code. It can do dynamic frameworks, which are iOS 8 and above, or it can do the old static library or it can handle everything because there's yeah. lots of people who are putting some effort into this and there's it's got a nice plug-in architecture so it can be extended to to do other things fairly powerful and Google pods is a relatively ambitious project and they've done a great job with it and like you said it's still not officially a 1.0 release so they, they don't necessarily consider it a final production version though pretty much everybody out there uses it in production. Yeah. Um, I would like but, to add, though, that if you're having problems with a CocoaPod that, because it hasn't been updated in a couple of years, it's probably not a viable dependency to bring into your app. I mean, there's definitely some things you need to consider when bringing in a dependency. Just because you can add a line to a pod file doesn't mean you should all the time. Yeah, I remember there were some CocoaPods I added that I'm sure no one has updated. It was just some random project i found on github that i wanted to use with with three stars and i wanted to just throw it into cocoa pods and i doubt it or the cocoa pod have been updated in years so yeah definitely use that as a good barometer for is this a good thing to add yeah i agree (laughs) the cocoa pods website does kind of have like a vitality rating these days too so they will rate the health of a project and they look at things like whether or not there's a readme file unit tests and just various aspects to indicate whether or not it's a healthy project seems like every pod i look at has at least one unit test and it's always that one sample test <laughs> yep <laughs> just to make cocoa pots happy no just that because it's <laughs> default when you check that box yeah so cocoa pots is this really robust solution and with that and there becomes there's challenges with stability you're depending on library authors to keep their projects up to date to update their pod specs so they might put out a new version and forget to update their pod spec and uh, you can always submit a pull request to update it for them and and get it up up to date but you know the complexity and kind of the ambitious nature of cocoa pods and dependency on xcode is some of the r- rationale behind the folks that came out with carthage as an alternative you know, focusing on a simple tool to do really just one thing. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we segue into Carthage, do do you guys ever run any private repo, um, private pod repos? I have not. I have not. It's something nope. I've considered doing a few times to build internal libraries that we could reuse across projects, but it's not something I've actually implemented yet. Yeah, it's one of those things that I. I have on my list to do because I think it would be valuable to have, but just haven't gotten around to it yet. You just need to wait for uh, like some of the enterprise uh, solutions that support like all all the other big 
platforms like Artifactory or something built in CocoaPod support <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah. I did submit a um, feature request to Artifactory that had CocoaPod support, and I did. Seems I like got a response cool. from them, and they they thought it was an interesting idea, but I'm guessing they didn't take it much farther than that. Yeah. <laughs> Related to the idea of using creating your own pod specs in a in a private repo for your cocoa pods carthage arguably is a easier solution to that just the nature of it simply pointed at a git repo and you can pull your source in and and create libraries internally that way from a private repo so talk about carthage a little bit i've briefly used it in a project uh, only because I wanted to use the new reactive cocoa. And so I, my project is a little bit weird because it's got both cocoa pods and Carthage running at the same time. But it's very valid because Carthage is so hands off that anybody else that would come behind me and pick up the source code would have an extra step to build up the dependencies. Yeah, so Alex? Carthage is a simpler approach than cocoa pods. Like cocoa pods, you create a file that represents your dependencies in CocoaPods it's a pod file in Carthage it's a cart file and so you list your dependencies point to the repos that have the source uh, you can specify supported versions and it'll pull down the source and, and build dynamic libraries for that those uh, source repos and so some of the rationale from the folks behind Carthage is to keep it simple, focused on really one thing, and that's building the frameworks uh, straight from the source. So there's no real dependency on the on the author of the library or the project that you want to suck into your project, as long as they're using semantic versioning. And even then, that's not a hard requirement. Uh, you can use Carthage with pretty much any repo out there. There are some caveats there there you know depending on the structure of the repo carthage can have some some challenges for example if there's more than one project file in the uh, in the root of the repo it'll pick the first one it encounters and build that or try to hmm. so it may not be the right one right so you know, if if you and, and this is a pretty common scenario where you have a a library project and then you have an example project to demonstrate how to use that library. I think as long as it falls later in the sort order, or um, you move that example project into a, a nested folder, Carthage will be all right. Um, but there are definitely some repos out there where Carthage will will choke. So you can create, I guess, a cart file for repos that haven't necessarily bothered to support Carthage, and right. you can run into difficulties that way. But are you seeing a lot of uptake in uh, libraries supporting Carthage? I think you definitely, in, with the Swift libraries, I've seen a decent amount of popular open source projects supporting Carthage as well as CocoaPods. You know, it, before CocoaPods and Carthage, pretty much the only solution out there was to either, you know, do it manual, copy and paste the source files over, or use Git submodules. Uh, Carthage and CocoaPods is arguably simpler to set up than 
and get submodules and easier to maintain. Yeah, it definitely seems like where Carthage wins is is in the things it doesn't do, mainly the attempting to integrate with your your project and workspace cuz it I mean there's nothing worse than, you know, you're making good progress, the new beta just came out and you can't even test your app to see if it runs on the new OS because Apple changed something and CocoaPods doesn't yet know how to deal with it. I mean, that's that's super frustrating. And just having the output be this kind of standard uh, dynamic framework is a, is a really cool idea. Because, uh, I mean, that's that's like an Apple spec. There's, no, there's not any good way to, to break that other than when Apple goes and adds some some kind of crazy stuff I would think, but that that's the thing that really stands out that makes me want to give Carthens a shot. Yeah. Yeah. They're not dependent on Xcode at all in terms of, you know, structure of the project file or, you know, specific features, you know, all it really does is, is build the project. And then it leaves it up to the developer to then integrate those libraries into their project. So there's, the manual step of adding them in dropping the the frameworks into your project um so it's there's definitely some extra steps there with Carthage, but for some people I'm already used to doing that because I already do it manually anyway so <laughs> yeah and and because because they're frameworks, it's really easy to drag and drop them into the project or or link them into the project, and you don't have to worry about like if if you are doing it manually, you have to make sure that all your build settings are correct and library search path and any compiler flags or anything that you need to add that specific to the project, uh, which is where things always got interesting with the manual process. And none of that you really need to worry about. Yeah, although you also did bring up, at least to me, the biggest bummer which is that it builds a dynamic framework framework which is unfortunate if you're still running ios 7 that you're kind of left out in the dust with carthage but hopefully that's a concern of the past as people migrate away i I think most people are probably in the low teens or single digits with ios 7 at this point yeah yeah so we're getting close to the point where you know embracing carthage or the latest cocoa pods becomes very realistic but and you know if i were starting a new project today i i probably wouldn't be as concerned with ios 7 support so i might start with carthage or or the latest cocoa pods and and just use dynamic frameworks there's a lot of advantages to dynamic framework uh, so it's definitely the way you know we'd want to move but yeah, We've but you can slow down your app startup time if you have a lot of dynamic frameworks. There was a, was it, I don't think it was Square, but somebody, they had to pull back from using too many frameworks because their app startup time was just unbelievably slow. And if I'm not mistaken, I think CocoaPods actually will bundle all your dependencies into one dynamic framework. It does, yeah. And so I don't know if that has a 
a net gain or not. And Carthage, does that give you a framework for each line in your cart file, essentially? Because that seems better to me, especially if you're integrating manually. I guess if you're letting CocoaPod do its magic, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, Carthage will give you at least one, because if the framework that you're including pulls in another framework, then you'll get extras. So you, you could fall down this path where you pull in one library from Carth- with Carthage and you end up with five extra frameworks inside of your project. But it, it does output all of them to one place, so it's not an extremely difficult process to manage or number to manage. Um, you don't have to go searching for where all these files are. Right. But But you do need to make sure all your teammates update their project to pull in the latest. Yeah, and I've had had some fun with uh, just using beta versions of Swift and having to recompile all my dependencies every time I get a new Xcode version. So here's a question for you guys that's kind of uh, applies to most of these uh, solutions we've talked about so far. Do you commit your, your pods directory and your Carthage directory to your project? Or do you leave that BA to be a step for each developer to run and manage on their own? So back in the Java days, we would always recommend not committing the binaries. Anything that could be recreated, Mm -hmm. uh, we wouldn't put into the repo. Yep, that's what I was used to as well. But coming into... You know, we also had internal repositories where we kept copies of all those binaries. So we had one, we had a repository to back up everything. If you're pulling source directly from from GitHub or, or some other repo and you don't have control over it, you can't re- reliably depend on that source always being there, then I would I would commit it to your own repo. Uh, just to make sure you can always go back and build it. Because and you would think that would make it easier for everyone else on a team setting to kind of not have to deal with it. You can just have the one dude who adds the libraries and commits yeah. all that stuff, and then everyone else is just like, okay, cool. You yeah. don't have to know anything about Carthage or CocoaPods, potentially. Yeah. And generally, we're not talking about large dependencies here, and it's not a big deal it doesn't add a whole lot and if you're using something like github or bitbucket you know, you're not overly concerned with it as long as you know the dependencies don't get over something like i think the limit's somewhere around one or two gig you know back in our enterprise java days it was a big concern because you know we had people with hundreds of megs in jar files that they would create new copies of all the time and the size of our repo across hundreds of developers got big fast. Yeah, that would be bad. But I know uh, we've had issues at work in the past where GitHub has gone down or had some denial denial of service attacks going against it. And that kind of locked up our continuous build process. And you could, you could always have a project maintainer go off the wall and just delete everything too. That's, yeah. that's always a possibility. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, I think in the Ruby world, they call that vendoring your dependencies. Mm-hmm. I, I go back and forth. In general, I'm against it. 
against putting it in the repo? Yeah, it just feels um, like duplication to me. It can create for some interesting merge situations where hundreds of files get updated at once. Um, but you know my but then, my approach then you is just that blow everything just, away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, resolving those aren't that big of a deal, but it can be scary at first when you see all the files change and see lots of conflicts if you know more than one person updates at the same time. Yeah, ideally, I think I'd like to see a, a nice solution for mirroring your your GitHub dependencies and your other external source repository dependencies. Yeah, I think having that would, would make me pro- probably lean back uh, to what you were mentioning, Sam, where you are against committing those folders. But, I mean, even even if there is some intermediate source, you still have that uh, kind of increased complexity for all the developers on the team. Or, you know, heaven forbid you have some QA or business people who are trying to do a a build because you've set them up to just like hit the play button and it builds and they can use it to show off to people or something. Hopefully you don't have to do that because that's never, never fun. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that I'm not a big fan of that complexity. Um, So if you guys were going to start a new project today, what do you think you guys would use? If you had to pick one, you can't you can't have both, Sam. I think if we go in with the assumption iOS eight only, um, you know, I recently started a new project and I started with Carthage, and it's definitely simpler. Um, it's fairly easy to get it started, uh, but I did run into a couple issues right away. Uh, some I mentioned already with the nature of how the repos were structured or a project that didn't have a shared scheme it artifactory didn't know what to do with it it's not a perfect solution um so i'm tempted to go back to coco pods and just because i know how that works and i know it can handle most of the scenarios i need yeah you said artifactory but we meant carthage yeah sorry yeah he wants to go back to java <laughs> <laughs> hey there's a other phone maker that can help you do that so sam what would you pick i would still go with the tried and true coco pods for now it works pretty well it's pretty easy to use it's well supported by other libraries out there except for people that make carthage and also make libraries that you want to use they're not such big coco pods fans but you can make your own pod spec for them or right you can so wouldn't it be nice if there is something that you know had all the kind of tried and true uh, capabilities of, of Cocoa Pods where it, it knew what everything was, but you had something that could also just build your set of frameworks. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Why, yes, it would, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have in mind? Well, there's this somewhat newish thing called Rome. It's basically a Cocoa Pods plugin that, that does just that. So pod specs are out there. You just list list them say you're going to use the Rome plugin and then it's kind of in development still it's not super stable but i think i have big hopes for where this is going maybe they can get it integrated as a core part of coco pods uh, but it just gives you your your list of frameworks from a bunch of pod specs essentially that seems like the ideal state to me less you know apple making their own 
system and Sherlocking all this stuff. Either of those things would probably make me happy. But I think for now, I'm going to stick with my, my manual ways until I can drop support for iOS 7. And then I, I may be doing something new. I've got a feeling. Yeah, I feel like come fall, our iOS 7 support is going to go by the wayside pretty quickly. Yeah, we're trying to get a couple of last updates out to kind of send iOS 7 off into the sunset. So hopefully that'll be done soon and we can move on. So, but just just to kind of state, I wouldn't recommend using Rome right now as it's still very early. Uh, I'm guessing you guys probably agree. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I don't I don't know what release they're up to. So I would be hesitant to use Rome right now because it definitely seems like it's something that's in very early beta days. And I mean, what's it up to like 0.04? Sounds about right. Yeah. So that that's uh. Even if they're using CocoaPods versioning standards, that's really low for, for that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think uh, Alex was telling us earlier that it just kind of sprung up from a, a hackathon not at... Uh, where, where was it, Alex? It was the Swift Summit. Someone was doing a talk on using Swift for command line or, or for scripting, and... You know, they weren't able to use CocoaPods because CocoaPods requires a project file and manip- manipulates that and it kind of behaved in a way that really didn't support a scripting uh, workflow where Carthage and the nature of how it works of just generating and outputting the library files into a, a folder that you could then have as your, your path for your libraries for your script um you know that 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 worked a lot better and the authors of CocoaPods one one of the developers created a plugin for CocoaPods that basically made it act very similar to Carthage in that sense that it doesn't integrate with the project file it just outputs the dynamic frameworks into a folder that could then be referenced in your script so you know the primary motivation was to enable scripting in Swift and be able to reference libraries or dynamic frameworks easily from that script. Uh, I'm looking at the repository right now, and it looks like uh, it was created five months ago. And it seems like every podcast we come back to something that, that happened at the Swift Summit, and at least every other one. So maybe Swift is here to stay. I'm not sure. What do you... <laughs> <laughs> We'll see what happens when it goes open source. Yeah, I I think Swift is a is definitely got some momentum. Yeah, that's for sure. So I I feel like we've beat dependency management uh, to death. Do you guys feel like we've covered it all, or is there anything else you'd like to to say about that? I think, generally speaking, any sizable project is going to have dependencies and managing them, keeping track of the versions, keeping them updated, integrating them into your project is not a trivial task and not easily done manually. Um, you know, so having options with CocoaPods and Carthage is, is definitely a benefit, but they both have their pros and cons and really kind of depends on the workflow of the team and, and, you know, whether you want a framework that 
is fairly robust and all-encompassing managing the project file for you or if you want to manage that yourself and have a simpler tool tool set um, you know I think those are your, your choices and neither of them are going to be perfect and you're just gonna to have to learn to work around any of the issues you you encounter along the way yeah and definitely they, any they, kind they, of uh, automation is a good thing so whether you and, choose cocoa pods or Carthage it's it's gonna be a win for you and both seem to have a decent sized community around them so finding resolutions shouldn't be challenging uh, Carthage is, yeah. is definitely newer and possibly a smaller team or a smaller community, but it, it has gained momentum fairly quickly. I was a little bit worried about where Carthage was going to go after uh, the creator, Justin Spar Summers, left GitHub to go to Facebook. But it seems like there's a definitely an active core uh, group of committers that are still keeping it going forward. And even he's managed to sink in a few commits here and there. Yeah, Facebook's all about the the kind of crazy iOS infrastructure stuff that that lots of people need. They spend a lot of time on that stuff, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if if he continues to work on it a bunch. It seems like a good company for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So one thing I would like to say is that most people outside of North America could probably point to Rome on a map but not many people would know where Carthage was. So we'll see what happens there. Dang. <laughs> Hating on Tunisia. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that's Carthago. I don't know where Carthage actually is. Uh, <laughs> nowhere anymore. Is it where? Yeah, it, it's gone. The Romans sacked the town and salted the earth. So much for my four years of Latin. I feel like I should have known that. Uh, didn't you ever translate Hannibal? The story of Hannibal trying to take Rome? No, we did the Aeneid. That was a oh. fun one, let me tell you. So you're in a Latin class translating a Greek thing. Okay. Yep. Who knew? Yeah. I don't... So anyways, uh, what else has been going on with you guys this week? Are you starting to get pumped for the, uh, the supposed Apple TV refresh again, Sam? <laughs> well, we'll see. Um... I'm looking forward to a possibility again. That was that was not the enthusiasm I was expecting. <laughs> well, uh, it's just the cold medicine. Trying not to get our hopes up and just so they could be dashed. Yeah, I thought that's what it was more kind of. It feels like the the whole Lucy and Charlie Brown thing and Peanuts, where <laughs> they, they keep being like, "All right, there's going to be this new Apple TV. There's going to be an SDK. It's coming out next month, two months from now, this year." Yeah. Oh, we're just kidding. Well, it's not like, happening. What's that phrase? Once bitten, twice shy. But I think right now it's a whole lot of nibbles. <laughs> yeah. So, I I hope we'll we'll get it soon. I think it would be. I I would like it just as a user. Although maybe there's some some cool stuff to do with it, making pr new products as well. We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? The. Uh... The folks at Objective-C.io released early access to their core data book, falling shortly on the heels of their advanced Swift book. So, uh, you know, both books 
are definitely great things to take a look at. Um, even if you're not interested in core data, looking at how they solve problems in their programming style, there's a heavy utilization of protocols and generics. And, and it's really interesting to read, just reading through the code and seeing the approach to solving projects in a very swift, functional manner uh, is beneficial in itself, even if you're not interested in core data. Uh, there's very few advanced Objective-C or Swift books out there, so it's really nice to have a few newer books uh, that we can turn to and and see more advanced patterns and, and problem-solving in these platforms. So you know, the tech book industry as a whole seems to have dwindled quite a bit, so I'm, I'm glad there's still folks out there publishing good content. Yeah, there's plenty of folks out there publishing content, but good content is hard to come by. Yeah, especially advanced topics. There's a lot of beginner material, just not a lot of advanced of, you know, what you do after you get past that, those early stages. So all the books coming from that group and, and articles on their website have been, you know, great material for the community. So uh, we have a app submission again for app of the week. And uh, this time it's a, uh, a local Cincinnati guy. His name is James Grody. And he is putting out a new game. It's currently an app store review. So by the time you guys are able to download this podcast, it should be out there. But it's I called. Think he actually, I think he actually uh, said that it is now scheduled to go live at midnight the day we're recording this. So it should be out by the time anyone hears this. Okay, great. But uh, the game, uh, we've all played it in uh, early access beta. It's called Electron Shock. Argo, would you like to describe it? Um, sure. You can actually just go to electronshock.com if you want to check out some screenshots and stuff. He spent a lot of time making a really nice website, and there's a demo video and all that good stuff. Um, but it's basically like I describe it as like a it's a puzzle game where you are trying to shoot little like cool looking plasma balls into. Uh, a nucleus of an atom and there's a bunch of electrons flying around the the coolly animated thing uh, that are kind of trying to block you and he's got a bunch of different game modes uh, and levels in there and there's all kinds of good stuff it's really fun to play it looks really cool um, and it's challenging too I don't know what, what else would you guys say about it have you guys played much it's it's Visually very stunning game, lots of particle and lighting effects, and I believe he composed the music himself, so it's got great music to go along with the game. And I believe James built it using SpriteKit. Right. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool game. Uh, definitely go out there and check it out. I'm not sure what his pricing will be for it. I think it will be a, a paid paid download, though, all paid up front. So there will be no uh, annoying in-app purchases yet. We'll see what happens, I guess, later on. There will be no coins you have to buy or... No gems so I, don't, so I can keep playing? I don't no know. lives that, that tick away and you get stuck not being able to play. 
Although he could easily put that in there. Yeah. But he didn't. So uh, go on out and support those those styles of apps. And I think that's about it with with uh, Electron Shot. Check it out. Definitely. Probably should mention that James's company is called Brain Fever Media, where he has built a number of great apps, mostly photo editing apps, including Alien Sky and and Lens Flare and Lens FX. Uh, so check out his other apps as well. Yeah, I did uh, buy that Alien Sky one and posted a couple pictures on Facebook and people got kind of weirded out because they thought it was real. So <laughs> it's cool. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have this week. Uh, why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on Twitter? I'm at Sam Corder. You can find me at AJ Robinson. And I'm at Alex Argo. And the podcast is at Shared Inst. As always, we do welcome ratings and reviews on iTunes to help get the word out about our podcast, to help people find us and bumps us up in the search rankings. And definitely keep sending us your picks or your apps of the week so we can feature them. Uh, we do enjoy discovering the new apps that people send to us and promoting them as well. So, thanks guys. And scene.